BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. This is 93.7 The Ticket. Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three-time national champion, Vershawn Jackson. Oh, I got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn, he'll get it to the 24-yard line. Coming at you live from the Koppel Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, Vershawn Jackson. Ah, yeah! Da 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 da. Da 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 da. Who's singing it? Part time. Who's singing it? Stevie Wonder. No. What? It's Luther. Ooh, I didn't. Whoa! Yeah. Y'all pulled a holy magooly on me. Yeah, baby. Why y'all do that? That's Luther. Why y'all? You don't recognize what? that? Like, no, I do now. Yeah. But I'm so used to my Stevie that you pulled, you pulled one over on me. That's because I'm like that. Damn. It's, uh, listen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, they, chameleon. Yeah. He, he was he was a backup singer for Stevie for a long time. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, so you said that he was the backup guy? Uh huh. In that particular song, uh huh. Still Stevie, but it's but, a, it's Stevie's song, but that's Luther that's singing the the da da da. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. But now that I, now that I listen to it, I you think you will now rehear oh, it. It'll hit me every single time. Yeah, I promise you. You will bro. rehear it. Yeah. Welcome to the Captain Show. The what ticket, ninety three point seven. What up? We are not playing any games. We're gonna get right into it. 
Let's go. Because uh, this is one of the, the coaches that, despite him being a defensive coach, he impacted me on the field, off the field, and I'm appreciative to him. Coach McBride, how are you, sir? Good. I'm always good. I know. Yeah, it's knowing everything. It's good for me. I know. Coach, I want to, I want to start off by telling you thank you. Well, that's nice. That's you're the only one that maybe thanked me. Man, well, that that's a that and ain't that that's coming from an offensive guy. Yeah, I know. Well, I tell you what, I offensive guys were our best defense. Right? Why is that? Well, because they could score all the time and kept the defense off the field a lot of the times, you know, and that that's the name of the game by controlling the football. And, uh, you know, I'd look up and there'd be seven, eight minutes off the clock and we still got the ball and it's just the first quarter and the other team hadn't even had the ball yet. Wow. Ball control. <laughs> so that, that's what I mean, you know. And so a lot of times they said, well, our defense was good. I mean, we did have some good defenses. But, you know, it, uh, in the way that the offense was set up was a ball control, physical uh, type of an offense. It was quarterback. Uh, I know the days of quarterbacks uh, with running quarterbacks we had because of option, but the idea that Coach Osborne said we want quarterbacks run first, pass second, and nowadays it's pass first, run second. So, you know, that's just the way it was because we were a ball control team. He said, we'll worry about the throwing. And when Jerry Godowski, for example, he was probably the guy that you know, didn't uh, throw the ball as well as a lot of them, but he threw it good. He led the league in, uh, I think, one year with 26 touchdown passes. Wow. But yet we were last in the league in passing because we didn't throw that much. And uh, so, you know, that's just the way we were. We controlled the ball with our with our option and power game. Coach, you, you, you kind of I, – I, I had to do my investigation on you, and I, I... – you're originally from Chicago, and you 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 only you played at the university and coached at the University of Colorado. Yeah, well, I could, what I did was is I played at Colorado, and um, that was the the beginning of just before me that they went from the Big Seven to the Big Eight, which were all the teams we played, same same schools and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you want to know uh, how old I am, Cat Claire and I played. We're there in the same class. We played against each other when we were in college. 1963? Yeah. We, well, no, I graduated in 61. Actually, January of 60, February or whatever, January of 62, I graduated. Wow. But then I went and coached in Chicago for about three years so, in high school. So, so you, and then now I know why. You're, you were an offensive line coach. You were an offensive coach first, right? Right, exactly. And uh, what happened was, is I was that had call uh, when I went back to Colorado and got my master's as a graduate assistant under Eddie Crowder. He uh, got me a job as the offensive line coach at Arizona State, and I was there for three years. And uh, from that point on, there was a coach up at Wyoming that I got to know named Paul Roach. And he went as the offensive coordinator to Wisconsin. Well, I went to school, and my mom and dad really only saw me play in about four games. 
And so I felt like I, I, I liked Arizona State, but they, I felt like I owed them something. So I went to Madison and stayed there seven years. And um, the coach that had, the coach that I was working with, a coach named John Jardine, was, has heart, had heart trouble and said he was going to try to coach another couple of years and that I need to start maybe looking around. Well, that year I went to the convention and it was kind of an interesting story because I uh, wasn't looking for a job. I mean, I was just there and, you know, a coaches convention is a zoo. I mean, there's coaches all over the place. And I got a phone call and he said, this is Coach Osborne. And I said, my aunt, I can remember what I said. I said, yeah, right. <laughs> and and you know how he talks on the phone he's very 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 controlled and very quiet right and he said no this really is coach osborne and i'm looking for a, a defensive uh coach okay now i'll go back to wisconsin when i was a um, sixth year they fired the defensive coordinator the head coach brought me in and said we're gonna we're gonna make you the defensive coordinator and the defensive line coach. Okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought, well, this is going to be great. But I had some really good guys that, that worked. You know, some of them played, went to the NFL. Some guys went. One guy was the uh, head coach or the offensive defensive coordinator at Ohio State later on. But so I went to defense from that point and started working with the defensive line. And from that point on, I came to Nebraska. And, of course, Van Zant, Lance Van Zant was there. And when he left, then then Tom moved me up to defensive coordinator. So you so, 20, 18 seasons as defensive yeah. coordinator. Right. You had... Well, it was 18, yes. But I was. we had one year after Van Zant left, we had nobody because Tom didn't like the titles, and uh, so we were going to try to. He he wanted us to try to do it without one. So, you know, I I called the defenses and 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 the guys in the press box were really active and and helping me, you know, and doing stuff like that. They were the whole time. I mean, I was lucky. I had George and Tony Samuel and. You know, we were, you know, really, really lucky because they, we all got to know each other well, and, and we knew what worked against some things and not against others, and it's easier to see in the press box than it is on the sideline. So as far as inline stunts and, you know, different kinds of blitzes, you know, I, Tony had yelled down, run this stunt, and, you know, with that front and so on and so forth. So it, it really was a team deal, you know, and I always said this, that, Four four brains are better than one, <laughs> right? You know, and and we really worked together good, and that's probably been was a main part of our defense. We had when John Melton left, we had um, Craig Bowl and and Kevin Steele, and both of them are very very successful coaches, and so we were lucky to have good people on the staff all the time. Coach, how important was practice in those days? Huh. It made our football team. I'll tell you what. Here's here's the here's what happened. We we went to four stations, if you remember. Yes, sir. Um, and I remember one day asking Coach Tennifer, "How many plays are you guys running today?" And he said, "We're running 165." <laughs> 165. Yeah. Well, they when you have two stations, we had 
two defensive stations and two offensive stations, and at the one end was the offensive outside run and pass station because they had the one came out from the end zone. On the other end was the defensive with the same. And they had outside runs and pass. So our secondaries were working ones and twos that we're working with against, you know, the scout team. You know, in other words, Milt had twos, say, on the sideline running inside run and short yardage stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they would switch. So they'd get out. They'd get both stations. Same thing with the defense. And your, your, your scout team now, okay, is not standing around. We had no players standing around. But yet on defense, for example, we're lined up against as good an offensive line as they're going to see in the conference. And the kids are learning to follow through with the stuff they learned in group work against the right against our players and and it was a physical deal i mean it wasn't we took took care of each other but it was i mean pretty much you know almost live um and that helped us with our depth because these players got better playing against ones and twos the scout team guys on both ends and so nobody was standing around at practice. Yeah. Everybody was working and learning all the whole practice. And then the other thing we did, I think, at the end that was helped us a lot is we went to some um, group stretching at the end, and, and we ran you know, some sprints, some gassers, they called them, 50-50s across the field, you know, back and forth. Oh, yeah. And. And so, you know, it gave everybody a chance to learn and, and play. And I think sometimes when I, I watch even the pro ball, they, you know, how many, I asked one time I was at a pro camp, how many plays do you get during the week, uh, you know, during practice? He said, well, 15 to 20. Oh, wow. <laughs> Nothing. like, what? And so, but they'd only had 50-some guys, you know, on the pro team when they got down to it. Now they had a taxi. They didn't then have a taxi team. They, they I mean, a, a practice team. They've added that since since I've, you know, been out of business. Coach, how many times do you think you said run it again? <laughs> <laughs> Roger Lindstrom, who is now living in Arizona, I came in, he has a bar restaurant thing where we used to go watch the games when I was living in Arizona. And I'd go in there, and the first time I went in there, he, he, I heard him yell, Hey, Coach, run it again. Where, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, you know something? He said, yeah, we used to call you Coach, run it again. And I said, that's all you called me? He said, well, no, we had some other things we called you. <laughs> so, so run it again, <laughs> so, though, Coach. When you when you said running again, that meant what? Your the guy running the ball is going to get stoned. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you knew that all along that when you said running again, everybody at all black church knew what play was getting ready to happen again. That's, that's right, and we 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 executed it correctly, and the offense didn't do so, didn't, didn't do so hot. How, how, you know, when you talk about scout team players, right, how important is scout team to the development of players? It's important to them, too, developing themselves and getting better, playing against the guys 
that are as good. But it 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 was as long as we made it as realistic as we could, without cutting people or throwing guys on the ground. And so you know, sometimes it got a little outruly, and you know, there's a little words back and forth, but that didn't last long. But they were working against each other and getting better. If you just stand there and you're on offense and you're an offensive lineman holding a bag or playing pillow push or whatever the heck they do now, you know, I watch pros guys practice. Well, they, they've done that stuff all their lives in college, so you can't kill a pro guy. I mean, because you can't get him hurt, he's getting paid too much. Right. So they have to do it a, they have to do it a different way. And, uh, you know, and again, you know, if you have a kid hurt on your, your team, it didn't change our practice. We just, we were told by the doctors or George Sullivan that he doesn't practice today or he doesn't get in the, you know, uh, teamwork, but you can take him to group work or you can do this with him and that, that. And even times when they said he could play and I knew that, that he wasn't really ready, you know, in my own heart. I didn't let them, I mean, myself, I just told them to go stand over there, they, you know, because you're not ready yet. You know, I didn't, and I didn't want to lose them for three more games or something because they're doing something stupid. But mm. the trainers have a job, and then that's, that's the thing you as a coach have to be sure and be careful of because their job is to get you back as quick as they can, and that's their job. So sometimes you have to have a little you know if you know the player well, you know you know what he can and can't do then then you can make some decisions on your own. How important was the individual drills so i uh, I'll tell you exactly what I did when we went when we went there and i was we had fifteen minutes we we followed kind of the time structure of the offense. And we had about 15 minutes, and I had about 15 minutes of that about two days. And I said, Coach, if I don't get at least 25 to 30 minutes, I'm, I'm going to have to resign. <laughs> I said, wow. I, can't teach any, I can't teach anybody anything in 15 minutes because part of it was doing just your warm-up type of little exercise and stuff you did, you know. And, uh, and so I, I needed to go, and I, I watched – other other people practice at other schools. I'd go try to learn things and, you know, and stuff like that, especially uh, techniques and stuff like that. It wasn't so much their offense and their defense because we had our offense and defense. It was pretty much of, you know, how, how the kind of terminology they're using. If I use this terminology, will the player understand better? Because you know as well as I do when the coach says, okay, does everybody understand that? There isn't anybody that says, no, coach, I don't understand it. Why? Because he's going to think, he's, his mind is that everybody's going to think I'm dumb. Right. Something That's not right. And you have to, when I got guys that were freshmen came in, I really worked hard at that, telling them, look it, the older guys understand. If you say you don't understand it, they didn't understand it either at times. So don't be afraid to say I don't understand it. And I got that, that kind of, I do it every year, same thing, same tune every year. But it helped a lot because when somebody didn't understand something, he'd, he'd say, I don't understand it. I mean, and it, and it, nobody laughed at him or called him anything. And, 
and but if I didn't do that, you know, he might get called. What are you doing in the meeting? Wasting our time, you know, and stuff like that. Well, if I needed more explanation, I'd just keep them maybe in the meeting later or have them meet me in the morning or do something different, you know. You just work it out with them. But um, any time you have group work, it has to be teaching fundamentals. And we worked on – when we were in two-a-days, we would primarily work on run in the morning and pass on the in the afternoon. I mean, that's how Milt and I worked. Milt Tenniper and I worked together. And we would even and when we got tired, we got we knew that they needed a we needed to work, but we needed didn't need to need you know go like a thousand miles an hour. We would get them and do shadow drills, and we would, as a defensive player, I would tell the off the offensive lineman what I'm going to do and show him how I do it, and he would learn how an offensive a defensive lineman different pass rushers, and then we'd rotate so that we weren't working with the same guy all the time. So some guys have one pass rush one way. Some guys like, well, just use a swimmer and an uppercut. Some guys did uppercuts. And a lot of it had to do with size. I mean, if I'm six foot two playing against a six seven guy, I don't think swimming is real good. <laughs> but an uppercut, an uppercut is really good. So, you know, we worked on those, and then we worked on a counter counteraction which would be something that looked like you're going to do that but you did something else and came inside or went outside or whatever the case is and uh that and we worked every week we had one-on-one pass rush at least two times a week with with coach osborne with coach osborne being the the quarterback (laughs) talk about pressure you guys are putting us on well, sometimes you tell – there's two ways to talk to a lineman. If there's a running game's on, then you pay attention to the run. Okay, you really – they know but through the scout report and everything what are their rundowns and pass in general. But I think when they're in the passing game and if we're playing a team like, say, Miami when we played them and beat them pretty bad for the national championship in, what, 95 or whatever it was, Mm-hmm. 94, uh, Mark, which, 94 yeah. Miami, 95, Florida. Yeah, and Florida, 94, 95, or not, whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you know they're going to throw the ball, okay, and, and Florida was about a 70%, between 70 and 75% pass. So what I my terminology to them was you play you play the run on the way to the quarterback. <laughs> nice. Words, you're going to rush the passer, but I mean, they're going to throw it on first down. They're going to throw it any time, you know. And so we uh, use that to tell them we want to tee off on these guys. I mean, we want to treat it like it's a run, but you have to run, read your keys and do stuff on the way. The run keys that that you'd know right now by the way the guy's set up. I mean, you'd just know. And the way he sets is different in screens, draws. All of these things are different. Because when you get a a draw, it's usually a short set. When you get a drop-back pass, it's usually a deeper drop. And so when you look at film, you study the guy you're playing over. And that's where you learn how, you know, this guy's going to react. And then when you're working with each other in group work, 
that's when you tell them, this is what I want you to do. You know, and or I'll say, this is what they do here. We're aggressive. We, I used to call it aggressive control is a, is a play action pass. They're coming off higher. They're coming off just stepping out, hitting you, and, and then they control you. So it's a, you're aggressive, they're aggressive, but they can then now it's control blocking. Cool. And so they learn to read how they set, how they stepped. They learn to – our key was the adjacent lineman, and that means that if I have a gap – that I key my guy, but I know what the other guy in that gap's going to do. I mean, I watch him, and you'll go through every. Our guys used to be able to tell what play it was without even seeing the backfield by the way they blocked. Wow. Do you <laughs> coach, coach? You do you miss coaching? <laughs> do I what? Do you miss coaching? Oh yeah, I miss it a lot, and. You know, I've been asked to help at the high schools here, and I haven't done it uh, just because, you know, it was I, – I had some physical problems with um, cancer and things like that that I couldn't do anything. And so I was kind of laid up for a couple of years and um, had a shoulder replacement, and I was putting myself back together still. And so, you know, I go – I go through that, and you know, I had I had um, I had throat cancer for you know quite a while there, and I had a couple operations and a couple tough times during those operations. So, but now it's I'm golden, you know. Now I'm illegal. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Mike, I was told by Nate the Skate to ask you about Mike Murray. We got to go to a, to ask you about Mike Murray. From Chicago, because you was the Chicago connection. Okay. Well, here's here's. So wait, you know, coach. Wait, know, wait, wait for know, it though, coach. Wait for it. I got to go to break and pay some bills, and when I come okay. back, we're gonna talk Mike Murray. We're gonna talk who okay. you think the best the best players were at every position. It's VJ. It's the captain. The ticket ninety three point seven. That's right. It's the ticket, 93.7. The Captain Show, Sider Heyman text line is open, 464-5685. If you want to get in, that's 464-5685. Nate Skate says, let me be the second offensive player to say thank you. Chicago family, love you, Chili Mac. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's where I grew up, and that's where I was. Primarily, I guess when I started out, I started recruiting there. But I had basically I ended up having everywhere from um, Eastern Kansas, Kansas City, all the way to Detroit. <laughs> so <laughs> it was it was a whirlwind. But uh, I grew up and coached in Chicago. Grew up in Chicago and knew a lot of those coaches still in the area, and it helped a lot. And I believe it or not, helped a lot of the guys in the other in other schools. Um, you know, at that time we weren't in the Big Ten, and uh, I, I played for some Michigan State coaches that co- played at Michigan State and coached us at Colorado. And I, some of their guys that didn't know Chicago, they'd call and say, "Will you take this guy around and show him a little, you know, how to get around Chicago and everything?" Because I could get around there with my eyes closed, so it was uh, it was fun and you know stuff like that. Though you could. 
help out. And <clears throat> we had, um, I had 33 players on the Wisconsin team when I left there. The Bob Spoo and I had re- recruited. I don't. Bob Spoo played coach of the Eastern Illinois, and Tony Romo was one of his court one of his quarterbacks at that time. Those days, and um, but Bob was a Purdue quarterback, and he and I he had the north side, I had the south side, and uh, so it was uh, just get your helmet on and you know and your and hope. hope, hope. Hope you made it to the school from the car. <laughs> Put your helmet on when you're going, though, right? So, Ed That's Stewart, right. I mean, <laughs> you got some great ones, man. Mike, somebody They told me Mike Murray might have been pound for pound the toughest Husker. Well, he, I'll tell you what. I, we played Colorado one year, and they had an All-American um, guard named Garton. His name was Garton, and he was a, really a good player. And we played him and beat him there. And I knew the coaches, of course, at Colorado, and, and they came and told me after uh, later on in the year, they told me that Garton came in after the game and said, if you don't vote for that guy to be all big eight, he said, you're crazy. And I said, I couldn't block him. He said, he's the toughest player I ever played against. And he said, you know, that he said he got he'd get tired and get sick, and he'd just throw up on you. <laughs> <laughs> right on you. Yeah. Well, During the game. Go, what I did, I found out he and that Wells, they'd go load up with water and go out and throw up on an offensive lineman. <laughs> if I had known that, I'd have had them both arrested, but I didn't do that, you know. But I... But, you know, you find out certain things later on. And Mike was an interesting person because uh, he was, you know, we we have walk-ons and we'll consider, you know, just about anybody. But, again, we don't have many out-of-state ones. And uh, I had recruited Nate Turner and, you know, I think Nate was between, uh, I think he was right after Nate Turner. But I got a Tony uh, uh, Frank Lenny, the coach there, is a famous coach in Chicago and in the state of Illinois. He's uh, you know won several Catholic League championships. And Mike was at Mount Carmel, and he wrote me a letter. And the letter basically, I can remember it saying, "I uh, I I made uh, all Catholic League as a linebacker and a guard." Um, and I just wondered, I, not even a Division three offered me a scholarship. And he said, I, I had no scholarship offers, but I wonder if I could walk on. Well, naturally, I, that was going to be, I probably wasn't going to do that because I didn't know anything about him. So I called the coach up and he said, he's the toughest football player I ever had. He said, and when this guy says something, he, he means it. And I'm... <clears throat> So I said, well, how, how big is he? He said, well, <laughs> he'll say he's close to six feet, but I'd say he's 5'10". And, and he said, that may be with a ladder, he said, but he he is really something else. Well, I figured, well, you know, I'll make a nose tackle out of him because we were doing some some stuff with our nose, um, like slanting, and, get, and he could – he could beat the center. The center wouldn't even get the ball to the quarterback, and sometimes he could be in the backfield. Wow. You know, and but he was very, very, very strong. And, and really, he looked like um, I walked in his house, okay, 
and and I thought that I was in the Valley of the Midgets. <laughs> he was, uh, he, he, uh, he, even oh. his brothers who didn't play were taller than him. You know, and he had six brothers and a sister, and I think his sister ended up being an all-American volleyball player in Illinois. Mm. They had one girl. They had one. Their parent mother had died, so they had the father who was a sign painter for the city of Chicago, and um, and that was that was the house. And I went in there, and you couldn't see the top of the table. There were so many beer cans there. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, it was that's they looked like they're, 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 that's what they had to eat and drink. It just did so. But anyway, he said no. He said uh, it, we had my brothers had a party, and I thought, yeah, that's true. Uh huh. Sure, they did. You know, but but he was uh, he was the kind of guy that you know we didn't know. Uh, I didn't know really how, but when we found out. It was kind of funny when Tim Rother was one of our tackles and Neil Smith was one of them, and and he'd stand between the two of them. It was illegal. I mean, it looked awful <laughs> because he he came up to their waist. Wow. <laughs> you know, but, but he played you big. Thing, you want don't you don't want to get in a fight with him now <laughs> because you know he's he is um, he's special. You know when it when it comes to you know being the tough guy. I well, mean, he, how important. Was being a tough guy to the black shirt defense in whole, being a well, general. I I had some guys on defense that you would, if you met them, you'd think they were an alder boy, you know. But then they get in the game. Um, Pat Pat Engelbert was a good example of that. I mean, he's one of the nicest guys, soft spoken, anything else. But you get him in a football game, and you better grab your hat because you're going to get it. I mean. <laughs> You know, so there were some guys that I had that were, you know, that were really, really, really tough guys, and you know, and 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 so they were all different makes, uh, models. You know, what I mean, it was crazy because um, we had defensive end, outside linebacker type guy, Derry Nelson, one year, and he didn't get a scholarship, and he walked on at Nebraska, and the reason he did, he was so mad at Coach Osborne for not giving him a scholarship that he was going to come down in prove it you know mm. that he was good well he ended up starting for three years and playing for the san diego chargers and you know i mean he, he you know he was he was another guy that was really tough and i mean you know george andrews they used to call him the smiling assassin and he, he junior miller was our tight end i don't know how many times he knocked him out with a forearm i mean he just you know it was, and then, and all he did was smile and you know, walk around. He he went to the Rams. They were so astounded with how smart he was that he learned all three linebacker positions for him as a rookie. Wow! And and then he got hurt, and then that was the end of it. But but he's you know he was a, he was a smart guy. He was from Omaha, and he he was probably one of the guys that you you know you'd remember as a guy that didn't didn't act like t- or act at all like being a tough guy he like acted more like being a smart student type you know nerd if you want to call it that almost and pat was the same way pat is just the nicest person you'd want to meet and then and Terry Keneally was a little bit that way too, you know. Well, Jeff Og- and, Jeff Ogard. Then I had some other guys who were a little owly, you know. <laughs> you know, they were. <laughs> the bad thing about it is they were really smart, but they were sometimes didn't 
you know, they kind of got carried away with stuff. <laughs> well, the apple don't fall too far from the tree. What about <laughs> what about who? What team is the best black shirt defense you had? You coached at Nebraska. Oh, oh boy. Well, <laughs> I always said, you know, the last the, the one. The longer you're there, the the last one's always the best one. I I think the the ones we had in the championship years were probably as good as we had. You know, we had, um, and the reason I say that is I look at the some of the guys that played. You know, they we had two. We were lucky to have two deep. Um, uh, at, at times I would just I didn't even say who was first team or second. I they just switched. Even though the program said this, this, and this, you know, going to start. Those guys just alternated every two downs. You know, so we could keep fresh, and then we could really put it on people because you have a fresh defensive lineman in there, and it's you know it's bad. If you got one guy that goes the whole game, he is he he probably is about the fourth quarter is going to start, you know, fading. What? And, uh, no, it really helped us. You know, if you don't if you don't have a good offense and defensive line, you can kiss your you know what goodbye because. Uh, it's it, you have to have something up front that counts, and so we tried to get as much depth as we could. Uh, we would have a scrimmage on Wednesday. Um, usually, I don't remember whether it was 12 plays or 18 live, and then we'd switch and twos would go do it, and you know, and then yeah, they, then we'd go down on the goal line and have four or six plays on the goal line, live. and they were live. And the reason we did that it was to get game speed during the week. Because when you're working with a scout team, it isn't really game speed. I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's tough duty. And um, I remember we played against Charles Thompson. Of course, his kids, his son's coming to Nebraska now, but he was the quickest of the of the Oklahoma quarterbacks. And you could never get a guy. We didn't have a guy that was that quick on the scout team, you know. And so, the more you could do. Um, you know, practice against somebody fast. The fastest we had, we put them there. And sometimes we put, we take a split end and put them there just to run out and pitch the ball on a speed option. You know, and just so we'd get a chance to, you know, see some speed. Uh, whereas it's tougher for the quarterbacks that were, you know, the scout team quarterbacks weren't fast enough to do all that stuff. Mm. But we that 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 part of our practice where we had that scrimmage on Saturday on Wednesdays uh, on the goal line made a big difference in our football team. And um, I remember going to bowl games. We lost six in a row, and we changed our practice schedule instead of getting up at eight or nine o'clock and having brunch and then having a meeting and then going to practice at one and getting back to the place by five our players had nothing they didn't have any time to go to the beach or do wherever we were they had no time to do anything so about the last oh 10 years or so that i was at nebraska we changed it so we got them up at seven and we were off the field by one and they had the whole afternoon off and we started really getting after people i mean they had you know it just worked out better because if you realize you're going to practice at seven you kind of cut back on your evening your evening fun, your evening activities, <laughs> Coach. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go break. But I got a special guest in the studio who plays special for what? you. A special <laughs> guest, one of oh. your players, is in the studio. I'm gonna bring him on when we get back.
It's Rashawn Jackson, the captain, the ticket, 93.7. Back with Rashawn Jackson on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. You like that, Terrell? Da, 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 da. Hey, Mc, Coach McBride, you like that? You see how I've, I've, I've changed in my older age? Yeah, that's a good job. Yeah, you hear that? That's a good song. Turn up, Nick, just a little bit. That's for you, Coach McBride. The living legend still is living. In, you probably still could go coach, Coach, right now. Yeah, I can coach. <laughs> they need to bring you in as a, like a consultant once a month. Just to, well, I, I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I may end up this year going down a little town that. Well, it's the same mailing address I have. White Pigeon, Michigan. White Pigeon, and, Michigan. And uh, they get they get 1,200 people in it, and they're the smallest 11 man football uh, division in the state. But they they're always in the playoffs, and they got nothing but a bunch of tough little fast kids that'll. Blow you up for a nickel. And, uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm sitting with somebody that'll blow you up for a nickel. Uh, Terrell Farley is in the building, Coach. Oh, What's up, Coach? <laughs> hey, Terrell, is that you? Yes, sir. Really? Coach, let me start uh, off by saying, Coach, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for you making me the player that I was here. and. Oh. Is it wasn't for you saying that to me one day, then I probably wouldn't have been the same. Well, the best, the thing I remember most about you is Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. And they ran a trap on the first play, and Jason Peter played underneath the guard and ripped it up. And the next thing I knew, I couldn't find where the hell the ball was. And you're standing in the end zone with it. <laughs> and, Coach, it was it like a, up- I, I, seen, I seen the hit. But I didn't see the ball until the last second, and it was like a piece of candy on the floor. So I just I, took advantage of it, and and that was that was one of the great things having a great defensive line that that was in front of me. Well, that's how fast you were, though. I mean, it was that fast that you were in the end zone, and I mean, it was, I you know it was it probably the, if I had to pick a play out, that's probably one of the most amazing plays I think we had in all of the time that I coached at Nebraska. I mean, it was, you know, it was, it was special because the way Jason um, Peter played the trap and the way you ended up getting it and scoring, it was, you know, your instinctiveness is gets you there. And that makes a difference in a good player. And God God gave you something that a lot of, a lot of linebackers didn't have. And so that that's where, you know, if you can find those guys. And, you know, you go back to when I was a kid, uh, you know, some of the players that I watched when they were pro ball, I know some of the guys that my brother played with in high school, Dick Butkus was the guy that he played against. And, and Dick was a center, and they found out how instinctive he was, and they moved him to linebacker, and he's he probably a 5-2-40 guy. But he was so instinctive, he played like a 4-6, four, 4-8 four, guy, you know, in that area. And it He's, you know, that's what that's what it takes to be a linebacker. And I mean, you have to have guys that, first of all, they don't care much about their bodies. <laughs> Coach McBride, this Terrell Terrell Farley wasn't hitting nothing. He wouldn't hit anything. He just was a great. He was a ball hawk. Well, he was. 
he'd hit you. Uh, don't, don't, you better not say that. I, I, I don't agree with that one. <laughs> now, Coach, my question. Oh, you don't, Coach said he don't agree with you. Wasn't it? You said you was a hitter then. I wasn't a hitter. No, I, I, Coach told me one day in practice. Box, which was the worst thing you can do and make tackles. So when you say you got a minus on the play, but you got a plus for making the tackle, they have a hard time if you're a coach explaining to yourself, look at I told a guy he can't do this, but he made the tackle for a loss anyway, so what do I tell him now? Good right? play. <laughs> <laughs> Good play. I think Terrell's got a question for you, Coach. Now, Coach, my, my, my question for you is I watched Nebraska probably when I started in JUCO, probably, probably in 93, 92. Now, what sparked the big change from – going to smaller guys like me and Jamel from having the other linebackers like Trev Alberts and the Sandman. Okay. Just think about this. If you have a, a five-man front, you have a, two outside backers, right? Mm-hmm. And you have three linemen inside. Okay? Now, if you want somebody fast, you want to make a faster defense, take one of those defensive lineman and have them stand over by me on the sideline and leave the other two in there <laughs> and then bring those outside backers in and put their hand on the ground and they run by those tackles so fast you know I mean that's that's what's happened a lot of times they were so we had speed we've increased our speed of our team and we had two studs inside and I usually the guy that we had we really didn't play with what a lot of people at that time would call true linebackers. Our, our middle linebacker was, you know, uh, Carlos Polk, John Hess, 250, you know, in that range. And But they played in the inside and played the middle, and the other guys could fly outside. And, and so there were, you know, they, our linebackers, some of our linebackers at times were faster than our running backs or our split receivers. Most of the times they came from – I always say, Coach, when, when Lawrence Phillips came, a lot of people's uh, dreams of playing running back at Nebraska was killed right <laughs> then and there. They went straight to defense. <laughs> he retired a lot of careers. Oh, I tell you what. <laughs> well, I was lucky to have a bunch of nose tackles that were ugly. I mean, they. I had guys that made the all-Big 8 ugly team probably – Every other year, at least. <laughs> Just ugly. So, so, Coach, I'm going to ask you. you know, if they ever had a date, I wouldn't believe it. I'm going to ask you something. And, and, listen, if you don't know, you don't know. I get it. And you don't want to answer. I get it. You get a little older. You get a little softer. I understand. <laughs> Your best defensive tackle. Let's do best nose guard. Top three nose guard. Top three. Top three? Yes, sir. Oh, brother. I'd have to go with about – I'd have to go with about five of them. I, I, okay. I, 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 I'd, still go, I'd still go with – the first one I had was all big eight was Kerry Winemaster. Mm-hmm. And he was 185 pounds when they recruited him. And then the way Mike Murray played, but he'd be another one. And then Lawrence Pete and, and um, Danny Noonan um, – and uh, probably Pat Engelbert. I mean, I could get all of them. I mean, we're, you know, I can't, I, I, they all had something different. I'll tell you that if you want to know who was a special player in my mind, 
is a guy that was is the only guy that made the coaches all American team and is deaf as as Kenny Walker. Wow. Now if you want to play against him, you're you're in trouble. Now he even played three years with the Denver Broncos as a deaf person. And uh, you know, that's special. And and but he he came as an outside backer and, and it was just too many checks and too much stuff and so we moved him inside. And but he was he was a special player. Corey I had Corey Dixon on yesterday and he said that they would just say don't make Kenny mad in practice. No. Do not do it. So, Coach, we're going to have you hold on. We'll be right back. I got Terrell Farley in the building. He's got more questions to ticket, 93.7. This is 93.7 The Ticket. Look at me short. Look at me short. I'm the captain now. Three-time national champion, Vershawn Jackson. Oh, got a bunch all alone is Vershawn Jackson. And Vershawn, he'll get it to the 24-yard line. Coming at you live from the Koppel Chevrolet GMC Studios in the heart of Lincoln, America. On air and online at theticketfm.com. Here he is, Vershawn Jackson. Ah, yeah! Where you at, Russ? I'm right here, man. Where you hey, at, this, this is your time to ask Coach about, did I know my plays about? Hey, Coach McBride. So, this is something that I, I've had for a long time, and I, I always kid Terrell for the last 25 years I've been kidding him. I said... Does, I said. I said. I asked him. I said, "Do you know your deepness of plays, or, or did Coach McBride just tell you just go make plays?" I knew my plays. Eleven robber. You get a pick. I got. I'm here. Call the Mike Minner. Are you answering uh, it or Coach McBride right. gonna answer it? Let him answer. Right. <laughs> I, know, I know. I'm outnumbered. I know I'm outnumbered right now. Five years. I still know some of our defensive calls. Do you? Yes. Give me one. Eleven robber. What, uh, what you doing, eleven robber? I play man on the back unless he's he splits to the well. It, it's I'm basically covering the tight end or the running back. Okay, so you know it, it's either way. Give me another goes. one. Uh, what's the one? Eleven under Viking. Uh, yep. uh, we had another one with um. Did we play bubble then? We played bubble, 5-2 with a bubble. That when I line up in the middle, and my defensive, uh, my middle linebacker will go on the center. My other def- my other linebacker will go on the end, and I'll be in the middle by myself. You block everybody, it leaves me wide open. But you know what? You remember more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I find that to hard to believe, age, Coach. You get to be my age. You know, the memory part isn't so hot. You know what I mean? Now, coach. I, I, now, coach. I remember this one day. I made. We were scrimmaging. Uh, I was just getting to Nebraska. I, uh, I did a good play, I th- as I thought I did. But I walked to the sideline, and you said, "Come here." And you looked at me, and you told me, "If you don't hit, bloop, 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 somebody, you'll never play for me." And I think from there on, it made me the player I was at Nebraska. <laughs> well, you know, you, sometimes you have to be. Uh, I, I always said this: you got to be honest with the players, and sometimes you have to be brutally honest. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. And uh, that's kind of the way you know, kind of it worked. Each coach has a different way of doing things. You know, 
I was probably a little louder than Coach Osborne was, so that's the way I coached, and he coached the way he coached. And so, you know, you got to be yourself when you're coaching. And um, I was the only person that I can say that you know, all my life I was ever afraid of was my mom. <laughs> and because uh, she, she, you know, my my brothers used to say she was a truck driver. You know, and she wasn't the sweetest thing in the world, but, you know, and she, she wasn't, she wouldn't be an English teacher. Okay. <laughs> That's where you got it from, coach. Sounds like Give it up the secrets now. Mama gave you that, that spirit, that mean spirit that teach people how to be tough and, and just teach them to be the hard nosed football players. Well, if you didn't, you know, I'll tell you what. I had the hundred stitches put in my arm. I chased the guy through a door one day, and then I had the, I lost so much blood. I was you know, in bed for a couple of days, but then I went back to school and they had my arm all wrapped up and I got in a fight. And I didn't know what to do with my arm because it was opened up like you couldn't believe. So I was, I was afraid to go home. So I got some scotch tape and I scotch taped my. The, the blood, the flap that the arm was cut. I, there was a piece of meat cut out of my arm. I taped it over. We went to the doctor to get my stitches out, and the doctor about had a heart attack when he looked at it. He said to my mom, "We're going to have to skin graft that." My mom said, "No, you're not. He's not going to any beauty contest." <laughs> <laughs> So I just said that's the way it went. That's what you know she was, and I'll tell you what. If you, I I can't remember her ever saying that I played a good game. Mm-hmm. Now, coach, I got to get this um, question from you. I got to get this out of you. Now, um, you won three national titles as a coach. Now mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you out of one, two, three, rank your defenses from '94, '95, and '97 from who was probably the best. What what defense was? Ninety four, ninety five, and ninety seven. Your three championship years. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's pretty hard. You know, the one thing I had Grant Wistrom and and some of those guys like Peter and you and I. I don't know how many guys were on that. You know, that defense that played all three years. Mm-hmm. See. You know, they were there for three years, three national championships, and and, and they were the, the, it was part of it was they the kind of leaders they were, even as young people, you know. But I, you, I, I'll tell you a secret, okay? I, and I probably will never say this, but I mean, I, I've said it before. I'm not too sure that the '99 team we had didn't have the best defense. I mean, uh, you know, and and we had. I, and I didn't mention this before, but we had Steve Warren, and, and, and who was, who actually we played some zone blitzes, and he dropped. Mm-hmm. And at one time, if you want to check it, he led our team in interceptions. Mm, wow! Yeah, he had three of them, and and but you know the guys like that, you know we had the Browns, Mike and and uh, Mike Brown and and Ralph. Uh, Ralph, and I mean there were just a whole bunch of guys that that were just really special players. I mean, and, and I think all of them that I've mentioned played the NFL. I mean, they're, so you can't, you know, you're, you're looking at the Noonans, you're looking at some of those guys like Peters and Grant Wistrom's. They were all first-round draft choices. 
you know, and you, and to say one defense is better than the other, I don't know. I I I just and I didn't pay any attention to which was best or which was good. I just wanted them to play the best they could play. My philosophy was make them better than they thought they could be. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that's that's what I worked at. You know, worked at just trying to make them the best that, that that I could make them and the best that they could be, and make them better than they thought they could even be. You know, and so that that's kind of what all three of those defenses. Are you going to criticize any of them? No, <laughs> you can't, Coach Rush. We have been Rush in University. Who who would be some of the rush ends? I won't t- I won't ask top three because because after I thought about it, that's way too difficult for you. You've had so many top guys, but who would be some of the best rush ends to, to pop out at you? Well, when we started, it was Trev because he, he, he you know and and he was you know he still may have the first or second in in sacks. He's still I mean, first. He, he had a sneaky way of doing things that um, you know he he would. He had his initial quickness was beyond repair. I mean, you could he could he could get off the ball and a tackle didn't even get his hand off the ground, and you know and and beat guys just with his speed and things like that. And then he had a degenerating shoulder, so he didn't get to play the kind of NFL career that he probably wanted to. You know, he had he played about three three to five years. I I don't remember, but um, well, I'm, you know. what about Grant Winston? Huh? I'll just I'm just gonna ask you about some of the guys that pop in my mind. Grant Winstrom. Oh, well, we knew when he looked at film in high school that that guy was a player. I mean, he was he, he was probably the best defensive end. I well, Neil Smith might have been, uh, but I mean, he he was the he caused the biggest wrecks and that that I've ever seen of an outside guy in high school. I mean, you know, when when we're looking at film of him. I knew right then that guy, he's, he's a player. And, um, you know, I, it just, you know, he was, he was dangerous. And you know what? He, he didn't test well. You know, he, he played with his heart. Mm. What about Project Thomas? Oh, <laughs> the Sandman? The Sandman. <laughs> I used to try to take the keys away from him. He'd be threatening them keys around before games. <laughs> he had some plastic keys. When we go out in the field, he was flat red nose yelling, this is our house. I'll tell you one thing. What he said, he did. And, you know, I don't know if you know him very well, but he talked a lot. And what he said, if he told you he was going to kick your what, he did. Mm. And, and there wasn't any backing down on anything. And he he did exactly what he said they're going to do. Sometimes, you know, you know, you know, Muhammad Ali, he was always telling people this and what he do. He said what he did what he said, and and that's kind of the way. That's the way Broderick was. Christian Peter, oh, strong. Maybe one of the strongest guys I had. The first play I ever told, put him in a game. I put him in against Oklahoma State, and they're down on about the two yard line. And he, you know what he asked me? I, I said, "Okay, you're in." He said, what do I do? I said, take the center and hand them off to the quarterback, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be darned when that thing was snapped, we got a safety. He knocked that quarterback into the backfield with that center. That I mean, he, just, he, he rattled his cage like you couldn't believe. 
and and there is there is a kid named uh, Spockman. Okay, one time he played at Iowa, and, and he was a, he was a defensive tackle, a freshman, and we were beating him by forty points or something. So at the end of the game, I put him in. Now his mom and dad were Iowa graduates, and we're playing Iowa. And they, they, so I decided this is a good time to put him in. So I put him in. He went in. He ran on the field. And after it was after it was over, he told me he didn't ever knew his feet touched the ground. He couldn't. Feel, he didn't know. He went in and put his hand down, took off, sacked the quarterback, and ran off the field. I said, "Where are you going?" He said, "I don't know." Am I supposed to stay there? (laughs) I mean, some of these guys, they do things that, you know, they didn't know they did because they were so nervous and stuff like that. Coach, Danny Noonan. Oh, well, I don't know. Danny threw one of the, I forget, Kansas State or somebody, players into the band when they were coming on the field. I think he broke somebody's leg with them, you know, and so that. It wasn't a happy scene, but Danny was a guy that what, when he got drafted, you know where he was? He yeah. was in the weight room. Oh, uh, lifting the weight room. Yeah, he was. That's when he got drafted. He was when he got drafted. He was drafted number one by the Cowboys, and he was lifting weights. He didn't even know it. He didn't. He was going to go lift, you know, and that stuff like that. I think he used to sneak in the weight room sometimes. Well, yeah, he I, he lived in that thing, but he still can live in there. What about yeah. Mike Rucker? Mike was a th- played. We had three guys rotate, okay, and Mike played. It was the only guy that I had that I can remember that played on both sides and could do that. I mean, he he played both sides, so we'd rotate him around. Um, you know, we'd move guys like. Well, we had, uh, I can't remember all the guys, but he would come in and then he'd move to left side, well, you had, left side, go, yeah. and, and then we'd put another guy that played the left side, he'd go over to the right side, and so he'd play on both sides, and that's what helped him in pro ball. Mm. I'll tell you, it really did. And, and when he got there, all the stuff that he had, you know, his, his quickness was was something you couldn't tell until you played against him. I mean, I don't know why it was either that his his steps were longer or something, but he he could he could get by people faster than anybody. I mean, he could he did and he didn't look fast. I mean, he didn't look like he could, but he did, and of course he proved it in the NFL. John Perella. Well, John was a self-made man. Okay, he was one of those guys that got in the weight room. He went to Colorado. They said so many bad things about Nebraska. He couldn't take it anymore, and he quit. And he actually walked on. He came and asked if we could play, and he came and walked on. And I remember him coming off the field one time. We played Colorado, and he said, "Coach, I don't believe this, but their quarterback's looking right at me when I'm rushing. He's not even looking to throw the ball." <laughs> you know, and but John was probably the most physical. I mean, uh, totally durable. I don't think he could hurt the guy. He played 12 years in the NFL for the Chargers and the and the Raiders. And the last time I think I talked to him, I called him. And I said, "Are you getting ready to retire?" He said, "Well, coach, I just signed a nine million dollar contract. I don't think I'm going to retire now." <laughs> so, Jared, uh-huh. you ready? Jared Tomich. 
Oh, Jared? Yeah. He's my boy, you know. I mean, I have to, I have to keep him going. He's a farmer out here close by, close by me. Jared was a guy that they said couldn't couldn't go to college because he was had learn, a learning disability, and uh, you know I never I, unless he would say that I would never say it. But uh, Purdue wanted him, Indiana wanted him, and and everything, and he came as what they called the Prop Forty Eight. And I knew when I saw him on film, this guy is, good, is dangerous. He is physical. He beat people with his physical ability. A lot of guys beat him with their speed. You know, Jimmy Williams was a guy that had probably had both. And, of course, Jimmy was a walk-on, but was a first-round draft choice with Detroit. And still a football coach, I think, of Ann Arbor high school up there. But uh, speed was, you know, speed was a big thing. But Jared was different because he he didn't have the real speed. He had he was fast, but he he'd get a hold of people and he could just power them, you know, and things like that. But I'll tell you, you talk about emotional, and he was very quiet. He wasn't a he wasn't a loud guy or nothing. He just, you know, he just would go like heck, and you know, I I had guys that would. You know, we're holler and talk and do that all the time, and but he wasn't one of those. He's more of a, a, a of a doer of the of the work, Coach. What about Kevin Raymakers? <laughs> he he needs a doctor. Only us that knows now, him knows Kevin, why you said Kevin, you talk about tough and strong. And, you know, Kevin was the guy you didn't know exactly where he was going. You know, he, I mean, he, well, I mean, he was as physical as we had. Always played hard every, every play. And probably didn't have the athletic ability that a lot of the guys had, but made up for it, you know, with just being a tough guy and being, working at it, working hard at it. Now, coach, when you think when we think safety corner, right? Talk. What about Mike Minner? Oh, Mike and Mike and Minner and Mike Brown were like twins. They were they 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 would blow you up if they could. I mean, Mike Minner was a true um, headhunter, and uh, you know, both of them are about the same size. I think Mike Minner might have been a little, little bit at the at the time when they came in. I think a little bit stronger, but Mike Brown maybe and Minner both were just like each other. I mean, they looked like the they they played like the same people. They were both, you know, both played in the NFL for a long time, and and uh, I I just think that what got them both through is how smart they both were. Steve Carmer. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's a, I used to call him, he's a rocket scientist. I mean, meaning that he was a rocket. I mean, he was bullet head. (laughs) I mean, he he, he was one that he, he loved, he was looking for you. Every time he hit somebody, he just didn't want to tackle him. He wanted to blow him up. And, and then Steve was really quiet about it. And he was nervous every time I came around, boy, he was, he was, he was nervous for some reason, 
you know, I think he thought I was going to stroke him or hit him or something. Well, you know, but he didn't know what you were going to do to him, Coach. I never did that. But uh, he, he, Steve was a, a kid that just – you never never heard him t- say anything. What you know, a, he just played. What about Baron Miles? Oh, God. Talk about fast. Okay. Well, that – he caught a ball off the foot of a guy punting. You know that? Yes, sir. He caught the ball right off the guy's foot. And when I saw that, I couldn't believe Quickest, he, he might be the quickest kid we had, I, that I can remember. And played, he was undersized, weight-wise, but could play, just say he played with the big boys. Michael you know? Booker. Who? Mike Booker. Oh, Mike Booker? The last time I remember Mike is he stepped in front of a guy we were playing. Uh, I think we were playing cover nine, which actually is cover two, against Florida, and he picked it off and ran it in the end zone. Dependable. I mean, really dependable corner. And we couldn't play 11 robber unless we had guys that could cover. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have guys that cover, we couldn't play it. And that was a man under, and we were basically man under too deep. Coach, do uh, you know how many first-round draft picks you have under your belt? No, I never count that. That's a that. lot. That's, I don't know how many. I, I, I'm going to find out, but I, you got to think, just in our senior class in 97 with uh, with uh, Jason, Peter, and Grant, that's two right there. I mean, I, I can go to yeah. uh, Mike Kroll, Neil Smith. Uh, who else went first round? Trev Alberts. Mike Booker. Mike Booker. I mean, there there is there is a, a history. When we get back off this break, Coach, just we're gonna talk a little bit about the difference between yesterday football and today's football, NIL and the transfer portal. When we get back, the captain, the ticket, ninety-three point seven. Back with Vershawn Jackson on ninety-three-seven the ticket and the ticketfm.com. Welcome back to The Ticket, the captain, 93.7. Terrell Farley's in the building. We're talking to Coach McBride, the legendary one, the one who has paved ways. Coach, I remember I was going uh, – first of all, I was going to ask you, you know, a lot of times the NFL, you guys, the NFL would come to see what you were doing. But before you answer that, how about Jock Allen? How many problems <laughs> did he give you on scout team? Oh, I don't know. That's hard to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't really know. I mean, it's that's it's, all right. I get it. You, you I, probably know better than me. I do know. You know what he gave? Remember, he used to catch the ball on the on the black shirt. Oh. I remember we used to do y'all a little. We would get y'all a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, if we got five yards, it was like scoring a touchdown. And every now and then, Jock mm-hmm. would catch the ball. And he would catch a touchdown pass on the black shirts, and he would throw the ball out of the end. He would throw it out of the stadium. He's he's the one. He's one guy that you can say loved to play football. He did. I too. mean, just and and the, and the deuce to do that kind of stuff. He it it made his day. It, it made him. It it made his life. I mean, you know, he just he he loved to try to beat people. Coach. You know, and and he did. 
What made the black shirts the black shirts? Well, I don't know. I, you know, I think, you know, it's been a long time and I just kind of thought about stuff like that. And I think today's athlete talks about rights and privileges and things like that. And in the old days when, you know, you guys were playing, it was more about obligation and responsibility, you know, as far as I could see. And I mean, because we've talked about, um, you know, that you're responsible for each other. We're responsible for the offense. We're responsible to get the ball for him. We're responsible for the guy next to us. We're responsible, you know, for we're obligated to play as hard as we can, you know, and and things like that. And uh, it, it it worked in, in a team effort. And now, we, you know, we mentioned the portal and some of these things like that. You know, that's it's that's probably it's probably the downfall of, of a lot of the teams in football that aren't as good as you know they could be you know without losing players i mean i think when you i i understand you can transfer if you want to they could do that before but now it's so easy i mean you can it's just so easy that it can change your team overnight Is and the- then with the money thrown into mm-hmm. it um Sometimes you think, well, it's, they're more interested in the money. And, you know, you can't say they're not because there's money there. And, I mean, I don't know how I'd be. I can't imagine somebody throwing a bunch of dough in front of me to transfer to go away. But I think when if you look at some of these guys that are going now, I think money's involved in it. It's that, you know, now you have college free agency. Mm. And, and to me it would be better – if they would okay, say a guy's worth fifty grand a year, you you put that you bank that for him, and then when he leaves, he gets it after he leaves. Then they got something to play for. But to give him juice up I front know. sometimes can be a little, uh, you know, not 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 good for the program and not good for the game. Well, look at what happened at at, at uh, Alabama. They they were going to give it. I mean, this court they're talking millions now. You know, the quarterback that they they went after the quarterback who never played. Okay, he was going to be the next quarterback at Alabama, and they were going to pay him all this money. That whoever it was, I don't I don't remember the particulars in it, but it as it ended up, it wasn't even him that started. But I remember uh, Nick saying, the head coach, I remember him saying, if you get that kind of money, you're going to split it up among the whole team or you're not going to be here. So, you know, that you know that would just, you know, if, you, if things like that happen, well, let's go. I want to go to Alabama. I'm going there no matter what. Well, if you're just thinking about the money and if it's just that that gets you to go to school, I don't know that you're going to be the most popular guy on campus. You know, I mean, it's if you're the one making all the dough and you, and somebody else is, that's playing a lot, doing a lot, maybe isn't doing what you're doing, financially it's got to be kind of hard to do. And, and now if you have – well, look at what Nebraska has, two young quarterbacks who I think are really good. And we're bringing in more quarterbacks, and maybe they're better, maybe they're not, maybe it's – it's good for them, but 
are those two guys going to stay after spring ball if they're not have a chance to? I mean, what what are they going to do? You don't know what they're thinking. But you think a guy lives in Alabama, he came from Alabama, he might say, hey, I'm going somewhere else. But the thing you've got to be careful of is where are you going? How important is developing guys? Because I think a lot of times, a lot of people don't know that you were the defensive coordinator, but you went with the yellow shirts, the twos and the threes, and you let your other coaches go with the ones and the twos. Why was that? Because I wanted to see who, what guys are trying hard and playing hard. Because I, I, and somebody asked me, "How do you coach?" I coach for depth. Mm-hmm. I coach so that people get to play. I coach so that, you know, it's not a one-team deal. I mean, you you look at teams. I I know coaches right now. I mean, older coaches that they're not coaching that you know, but I know who they are right now. That didn't even know who the names of the guys on the second team. Oh, they didn't care about those guys. They just want to get the guys that play for them. That's who they took care of. That's a bunch of garbage. And and when you have a team like that, you don't have a team. You know, you have a bunch of individuals and, and a coach that doesn't even know your name when you walk down the hall. Well, and <laughs> that's what that that's what's so amazing with you is you didn't you didn't you coached me you didn't coach me, but you coached me. You know, it wasn't a – you wouldn't have a direct – I wasn't a defensive lineman, but there was things that I learned from Coach McBride because of who you were and what you called us to do that I – you were one of my favorite coaches even though I played offense. Well, and, the thing is, is you, you have to be understanding that, that everybody's out to do the same thing and you, and you don't want to take their emotions out of the game or how they feel. I mean – and I, my philosophy was, I'm going to yell at somebody. Okay, that's going to happen. But I, I try to make it that, that you never leave the field with anything negative. And then you don't, you, you don't really, you don't use the word dumb. I mean, I can say myself, I'm dumb, but then I can't. I don't want to do it to my kids or my players or, you know. <laughs> I have said one thing. If I, if you had a brain, you'd be dangerous. That's my what would be my <laughs> that would be one of my little things that I instead of using using that word, but it just doesn't work. And I I said before when we started about understanding. Some players are just afraid to say, "Coach, I don't understand it." Hmm. You know, if you're alone with them, they might. But if they're in a meeting, they're not going to do it unless you talk about it, unless the older guys help you play. And I stress that, that they helped them. And if they saw a mistake in practice and group work, those older guys would help the younger guys. And when I saw that happen, I knew we had a team. Mm. Now, Coach, um, how different would it be giving out black shirts today versus when you gave them out to us? Well, we gave them out at the at the, after uh, I think the first I think it was the first week of game week, and we put them in the lockers in the lockers, and they had them they were hanging there when we did that. And then as time went on, we gave them to some of the we gave them to the kickers because those guys got nothing, and I started feeling bad about them. You know they. 
they're on both offense and defense, and they, you know, when they're seniors, I gave them the seniors black shirts. And, um, you know, and, and I, I've given black shirts to guys that have never had one before, before a bowl game. We gave all the seniors black shirts on defense. But, I mean, I've handed them out, and I've seen guys cry. Wow. I, and, and what what and is when it? When you do that and you see that, you know, you realize how much it means. Yeah, it does mean a lot. I got mines in the middle of the season, and uh, I thought I was in trouble. I got called to the office one day, and and I come in Coach Bowles' office, and my black shirt sitting there, and it was probably one of the happiest moments I ever had because, especially, you know, not just getting out the yellow jersey, but just being a black shirt. Yep. Well, you know, it, it's a little bit the way you felt is probably the way I felt when when uh, Don Bryant told me to go upstairs. When you go up, tell Kenny Walker he made the coaches All American team is the first team player. I went up there and told him he started to cry, and I did too. I mean, it was, you know, it was unbelievable. I mean, and and to this day, he's he's the only totally deaf person that ever made all American. And, you know, that, that, that was kind of a accomplishment for what he did. I mean, he's, he was amazing. How did the black shirt start? Was that something before you or it something started you started? With coach Devaney when they, they didn't have it. He ran out of jerseys and he sent the, uh, one of some of the coaches over to the sporting goods store and they got green and black, I think it was. And so they said, okay, put the black shirts on the first defense and the gold shirts on the scout team or something like that, or the green shirts on the scout team. And then uh, that's the way it went. So when in practice they were saying, okay, red shirts, white shirts, gold shirts, green shirts, and black shirts, and they go over here and here. That's how they directed the teams rather than ones and twos and you know because guys had the shirts on and there were probably more maybe five instead of being 11 guys on offense or for example there might be 13 or 14 guys on the first team you know because they alternated or they were special or something like that and same thing with the defense i mean we we we, we give out maybe sometimes 13 14 black shirts because the guys that alternated and played you know, as much as the first team guys played. And I wasn't real happy about not my thing to our defense was you're all black shirts. I mean, because when you get in a game and you're not, you don't carry a black shirt at practice and you in the paper, it says black shirts win game or black shirts stop this or black shirts. You're part of that. You know, you understand what I'm saying to you? I That's the way I I tried to explain it. It's just black shirts is the, de- is the defense. And uh, even though some guys wear black shirts at practice, we're all black shirts. Nice. What, who, what game stands out to you the most? What's your most memorable game? Oh. Uh, well, the first one that when I was there early was in '97 or '98 or '78 when we beat Oklahoma at home, and, um, and I think he still John Rude hit that Kelly Phelps on the sideline on a kickoff and uh, killed him. 
I mean, that that was the hit that still is the biggest bang I have ever seen in a while. I mean, he hit the dirt as fast as he, I mean, as fast as you could, like he got shot twice. And and the ball, actually, it was, they, it went in the air. It never hit the ground. We recovered it on the two-yard line, but they said it hit the ground when he got hit. It didn't. But uh, that that game, I mean, I you couldn't get off the field after the game. Everybody was from the stands was on the field. Why was everybody that such a streets? They were in the streets all over the place. Why was that such? Why was that rivalry like that? Well, Oklahoma was so good, and you know, we had, and of course the seventeen seventy one teams, you know, were so so good at their time, and then. There were times when I first went there that we weren't, you know, we weren't that good against them. And, you know, we just got better and faster. And it, it was a speed factor that made the difference. Who, when you when you think about, uh, when you was coaching, were you in the booth or were you on the field? I was on the field. Well, yeah, I, I don't even know I would ask that. That was a Terrell Farley question. <laughs> I knew you would be on the field. You got too much fire to be up there. I couldn't imagine you up in the booth. When I'd we get back. Window, probably. Right. When we get back, we got one more segment with Coach McBride, the legend, the captain, the ticket, 93.7. <laughs> What you know about that, Terrell? That was on a movie. Ah, the Sutter Haven text line, 464-5685. It's the ticket, 93.7. We're talking to the legend, Coach McBride, Charlie McBride. Coach, I got some more names for you. You ready? Yeah. Phil Ellis. Phil Ellis. Well, I'll tell you a little story about Phil. When we were recruiting him, he had committed to Nebraska and I was going out to uh, wherever wherever uh, Scott Frost lived to see his dad, and out at uh, it was about 15 miles away. And they gave me up. They put me in a private airplane and flew me out to Grand Island. I got out of there, and uh, Phil Nelson or Phil Ellis gave let me borrow his pickup truck. To drive, to drive out to talk to Larry Frost and the, the and and talk about Steve his 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 other son and Scott was the junior at the time but Phil it was funny because here I am borrowing one of our recruits cars you know <laughs> and uh, but Phil was Phil was a great guy and a, a good person and a dependable player a tough guy you know he he just uh, he was what represented. He represented the state in the uh, in his actions. I mean, he was just a sincere person and uh, played that way. But he was a hard nosed guy, and he, you know, he played two years. He started for us, and and it was, you know, he did. We, you know, they said, well, he got complained about why well, we only won nine games that year, or we only won ten. We need one, you know. That that wasn't good enough, you know. It still isn't. <laughs> I, that was me and Phil used to. I had more fights with Phil in practice than anybody else. Me and Phil would go at it, and I mean to this day we love each other, but there's still a little bit of animosity from the field because we just like <laughs> we just remember that, Coach. Who was the one? 
who well before I who was the who was the guy who who did the most stadium steps? Did the most stadium? Oh, uh, I don't know. Who'd you send up the steps who, the most? Who did I forget? Aaron Pinlin. Guy I went in the pray. I went inside. I went in and was in the training room or in the locker room, and the train and the manager came in to me and said, "Coach." I can't try and think of who it was. It's still running the steps. Do you think we ought to tell him he can stop now? I can see that. So I guess he was the – I said, how's he doing? How was he doing? He said, well, he was walking at that time. <laughs> Coach, what, what, what made you move Ed Stewart to linebacker? Well, we were doing. We want. We were recruiting strong safeties to play linebacker. That was kind of our overall picture of of the thing. We, the guys that were had physical size a little bit. You know, those were usually the guys who were, you know, in high school were usually the better hitters and stuff like that. And we, we you know, we didn't want to put a hundred sixty five pound deep guy at linebacker. So you wanted a kid about two ten or so, two hundred and five, two ten. It put at uh, you know put at linebacker and we and strong safeties were usually the guys that had the speed to do that. So that that was pretty much what it and and Eddie was not happy about that. You know it wasn't just something that. Uh, but after a while he made all American so he felt better about yeah, it. Yeah, he, did, he, he didn't want them headaches down in there going going against Corey Schlesinger and all them fullbacks he would have had to take on. Running ISOs fifteen thousand times of practice. I can remember running an ISO when I was on scout team for two years, and I ran an ISO against Ed, and I just destroyed him. And or no, no, he destroyed me. And Coach Solich was so mad, he came over and said, "Run that play again. If you don't get your butt up in there and hit Ed, something's going." And I went in and laid Ed out, and Coach Solich just was so happy. So I. I that's the way it should be. I mean, that that's the way the game's played. I mean, that means it shows you what you can do if you do it and do it all the time. You know, that that's just that's how you learn. You know, I mean, that's how guys get better when they do things like that. They know they can do it. Mm. What about what made Coach Osborne great? Well, he you know he he let us as coaches coach. I mean, he never criticized how we coached or what he did. He and he he would if there was something he didn't like, he would never do it, yell at you as a coach on the field or anything. He might come in the office two days, three days later, and say, you know, we probably should do this, and you probably shouldn't do that, and then, you know, maybe something like that. He was always he was always a, a thoughtful of how our feeling was. The other thing is, I'll bet you he could name every player on the team, okay, and and every every player and and their parents or their their loved ones, whoever they spent their time with. It he just had he it was a point that he had, and he hated to ever let a player in the state go somewhere else. I mean, it was awful. And, uh, you know, we one year we only we gave out – it was not a good year in Nebraska, but we only gave out four scholarships, and he was beside himself. I mean, it, was, it wasn't he made one mad at us because he recruited the state a lot himself. But 
we just didn't have as that good a year. And you want to know something? If you go back, and I don't know the year, every other player that we recruited now was a person that touched either an ocean or a, a state like Minnesota touched Canada and Texas touched Mexico. They all t- were either touched a, an ocean, California, say, for example, New Jersey, nothing in between and four guys from the, Nebraska. It was the craziest year I've ever been around. You know, I didn't get any kids out of Chicago or anybody out of Kansas City or anything like that. It was a bit, it was a weird year and but we got guys from adjoining from border states coach i didn't want to i didn't want to make it about the new guys but i do want to ask a question how do they write the ship now 